Good morning. My name's Rich Wells. For those that don't know me, I'm one of the deacons. Our scripture reading this morning will be Psalm 82. That's in page 492 in the Pew Bible, if you use the Pew Bible. I'll give you a second to turn to it. Psalm 82. God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are God, sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can be here this morning, and that we have this privilege to meet together as Christian brothers and sisters and to worship and hear your word taught faithfully and, and you're so very good to us and we thank you for Pastor Toby Father for the message he's prepared this morning and I pray that you would empower him to speak with power and clarity and speak directly you speak through him Lord directly to our hearts and, and that you accomplish in each of our hearts what you intend and what you desire. Please, Lord, keep our hearts and minds from the cares of life and, and keep them fixed on you and what you have to teach us this morning through the message. Bless the rest of the service in Jesus' name. All authority resides chiefly in God. It is by his authoritative word that he spoke all things into existence. It is by his authority that every molecule in the universe stays in its place and functions as it does. Human authority, therefore, if all authority resides with God, human authority is a derived authority. It is part of God's ordained way that his creation is to operate. In fact, Romans 13 tells us there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been established by God. So authority in human relationships is God's idea. It's given by God, and it is to be used for God and for the good of those under authority. That is the purpose of human authority, to glorify God and to do good for those 
under authority. It does keep order, but it keeps order in such a way that God is glorified and good is done for those who are under authority. Even when it is corrective authority, it is ultimately for the good of the one under authority. So authority glorifies God. The one in authority glorifies God by treating those who are under his or her care with the same care that God would give, speaking the same kinds of words that God would speak, speaking his words, having compassion as God would, correcting as God would, being a faithful ambassador of God, representing God faithfully in the execution of that authority, whatever it may be. Next week, we will have the great privilege of setting apart Chad McFadden as an elder in our congregation. And part of the responsibility, the, the authority entrusted to Chad in the laying on of hands is to be exerted for the glory of God and for the good of those under his care, under the care collectively of the elders. So authority glorifies God, and authority is for the good of the ones under authority. Those in authority are to serve, be a blessing to those in positions of submission, to help to serve, to love, consider them as more important than themselves, not finding ways to be served by them, but being the chief servant of them. The best of human authority is that which glorifies God and does good for authority. And that's whether it's in the home, whether it's bosses and managers in the workplace, whether it's pastors with congregations, whether it's coaches with teams, whether it's mayors with city, whether it's a president with his nation, the best of human authority seeks to glorify God and do good for those in their authority, under their authority. But this world is infested with sin, isn't it? And because of that, Authority that is intended for God's glory and for the good of others can go terribly, terribly wrong. In 1 Peter 2, Peter actually speaks to those times when we find ourselves under unjust authorities, whether it be governments or whether it be uh, employees and employers or masters with slaves in that language. And he calls us to remain faithful, and it's hard, but it's right, and it honors God, and we must obey, but as you do that, doesn't the question roll around in the back of your mind, you know, is that all there is? I mean, am I, is it only the call to faithfulness? I'm going to do that, Lord, that will honor you, that will be obedient, but, but what about the injustice? What about the people dishing it out? Will you do anything about them, God? And Psalm 82 answers, yes, yes, he will. Because Psalm 82 does more than describe injustice or cry out for mercy and deliverance, which are appropriate. This psalm sets injustice in its fuller context, which is under the justice of God. It teaches us to pray in light of God's justice. And it teaches us that God will judge those who administer injustice. 
We're in a series called Psalms for Life, Psalms in different times in life, Psalms in times of fear, Psalms in the storm of life, Psalms uh, for when we realize the guilt of our sin last week, and here, Psalms in a psalm in the face of injustice. So long as sin abounds, injustice will abound as well. It'll just abound along with it because that's what injustice is. It is uh, a manifestation of the sinfulness of human beings breaking the commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. So we want to look at this under a few headings. The first, as we think about God judging those who administer injustice, is the fact that God does call us to justice. God's call to justice. Listen to verses 2 and 3. We're kind of going to look at the middle, the meat there, and then we're going to look at the bookends that really put all of it in its pro- the frame around the picture that he paints, all right? So first we're going to look in the interior, verses 2 and 3. How long will you judge unjust? This is God speaking. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and destitute. Rescue the weak. Deliver them. I mean, God goes on in response to his own question to command them what they ought to have been doing rather than what they are doing. God calls them to justice. Justice is related to righteousness. It is in line with what God says is right, especially in the treatment of human beings, upholding goodness and denouncing wickedness and being impartial, treating others in a way that recognizes that the dignity of being made in the image of God. This call to justice, as we will see momentarily, extends to all of God's people, but it is especially critical for those who are in leadership. It is especially critical for those who have been trusted with the authority of God to take care of other people. So, I've shown you my cards immediately that I think that the ones that the Lord is talking to are real human beings who are leaders in Israel. There are differing interpretations of whether these are the demonic forces behind the false gods of other nations, (coughs) whether this is speaking to the whole of Israel or whether it's speaking to just the leadership. And I take it to be the leaders for two reasons, the human leaders for two reasons. One, because (coughs) they are leaders because of the, um, because of what they're entrusted to do. They're entrusted to bring this justice. The, the word to bring justice implies governing and ruling. It, it implies some type of position. But I think they're human leaders, quite honestly, because I think Jesus thought they were human leaders. Because in John chapter 10, he's, he's speaking with the Pharisees about the fact that he is called the Son of God. And he says in John 10, 34, Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came... Now, if we think carefully, the word of God did not come to the demons behind the false gods of other nations, but to Israel. If if he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and Scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him... Whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? This is an a fortiori argument where it's the argument from the lesser to the greater. 
where Jesus says, if these leaders are, and you heard it, right? You're sons of the Most High. That's what Psalm 82 says. If these leaders can can take that title from the Lord, how much more should the one who was consecrated by the Father to come and be his, the radiance of his glory on earth, be called the Son of God? It's the argument from the lesser to the greater. So, this call to justice is especially critical for those who are in leadership, who are called to maintain order. So it does apply to legal systems and the application of laws to judges, but it also applies to kings, to other officials, to those uh, in positions of power. They must do justice, and God has been calling for justice among His people since Israel was founded. In the law... God makes it clear that deciding cases and administering His law in civil matters, even bringing cases to court, that righteousness must be upheld, that justice must be done. So it's in a few different places, but let me just read one. Leviticus 19, You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. Later in the history of Israel, things have gotten out of sorts. The country's divided. Uh, The nation's divided into Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And King Jehoshaphat in the south brings both uh, religious and political reform. And he sets up new judges, and he basically lines them up in front of them, and he gives them a charge. And here's part of it. Be careful what you do, for there is no injustice with the Lord our God or partiality or taking bribes. And just before that, he says... It's not just you judging. The Lord is judging with you. So as you decide that case, just know that the authority of God is entrusted to you to make those decisions with impartiality, in righteousness. Justice is one of the great concerns of the prophets, isn't it? So Isaiah pictures it this way in Isaiah 59 justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away for truth has stumbled in the public squares and uprightness cannot enter and one of and Isaiah's contemporary Micah said the same thing and I said hear you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel is it not for you to know justice things are out of sorts Those in leadership are not loving their neighbors under their leadership as themselves. They are being impartial. They are being prejudiced in their decisions. They are using their positions of authority for their own gain instead of for the good of those underneath them. You see, God created human society. And dear friends, when when we interact with our our, our friends about what society ought to be like, we, do not, we don't interact with them as those who think we have better ideas than they do. We interact as those who seek to represent God's ideas for human society. And because God created human society, God knows what is best for human society, and God knows what will make any human society flourish and so we 
should care deeply when injustice happens in any human society. It should strike at the very core of who we are because that is opposed to God's design for human beings. Not just when it happens to me am I going to cry injustice, but when it happens in society, we ought to say injustice, and we ought to care that it happens, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's in our city, our state, our nation, other nations, whether it's in the very fabric of our laws. Dear friends, the legalization of abortion is injustice codified. It takes advantage of the very most helpless human beings among us for the benefit of others. That is oppression. It is injustice. There is in, injustice can pop up in the making of laws, in the enforcing of laws, in the adjudicating cases regarding laws. Sexism is injustice. To, not to say we are of equal value, but in, in places God has ordained that we have different roles, that is biblical, but to say that it, it is not the differentiation in roles that is sexism, it is the differentiation in worth and in value that is sexism. Racism is injustice. Sex trafficking is injustice. To lump every immigrant into the same category is injustice. And the list goes on and on. My guess is you can't read the paper today from front to back without finding examples. And apathy towards seeing justice done for human beings is apathy toward God and His design for human society. It does not make us social warriors. It makes us people who reflect the heart of God in relationship to other human beings. It does not take our emphasis off the preaching of the gospel. It puts the emphasis on those who say they believe the gospel better live in accordance with the gospel. And it is to say that we ought to stand for righteousness in whatever place that we are put and in whatever capacity we are given. You see, because the doing of justice in the prophets is not limited to those who are in authority. If we rewind from Isaiah 59 back to Isaiah 1, God is addressing the whole nation and saying, you're basically children who've forgotten who your father is. I don't want any more of your offerings. I don't want any more of your festivals. Stop throwing religious ceremonies. Stop doing it and do this. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. And his contemporary Micah says the same thing. What does the Lord require 
of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Are you concerned to do justice? Are you in charge of other people at your office? Are you concerned to do right by them? Are you concerned to treat them in a manner that reflects you understand that they are made in the image of God? If you have clients, do you treat them that way? Parents, you treat your children that way, understanding that they are made in the image of God. Husbands, you treat your wives that way. You see, in whatever capacity, in whatever station, in whatever way that God may have entrusted authority to us, we are to do justice. And even where I am not the mover and the shaker, I need to seek justice by speaking for it, by praying for it. And whatever, whatever the capacity, I mean, we, we can't go through all of the ways in which this can be done. Those of you who have, uh, who, you know, fostering and adopting, this is a way to fight against some of the, in, the injustices in the foster care system, in the, the world when it comes to the treatment of orphans. Some of us think that it's just our responsibility is not to interact with anybody else. Our faith is just a personal faith. That is wrong. Faith that is personal, that affects nothing that I say or think or pray or do in public is not faith. Are you concerned? To do justice? Are you concerned to see justice done? Does your heart break when you see or hear or read about injustice? Or do you just say, man, I'm glad I'm not in those shoes? Oh, dear friend, do justice. God calls us to it. Secondly, we see God's charge of injustice. So again, let me read. This is God speaking, beginning again in verse 2. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the wicked and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. So there are two basic ways that God charges these leaders with injustice. The first is that they have mistreated people. They mistreat people. How do they do that? First, by showing partiality to the wicked. That's what verse 2 says. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Now, literally, to show partiality means to lift up the head. It means to exalt someone. I mean, leaders are lifting up the, li the wicked in a higher, to a higher status than anyone else, giving them preferential treatment, exalting them. I mean, this is, this is mob bosses having special audiences with, uh, with uh, city officials types of things, you know, getting to suggest certain people for appointed office. Those, see, those who should be enforcing the law looking 
the other way while something goes on. Tax cuts for the wicked, right? So, I mean, there are a number of ways that this kind of thing could happen. It doesn't say why they are judging unjustly, why they are showing partialities. I mean, maybe we could guess. They're getting something in return. They were either threatened or they were promised something. But either way, they are showing partiality. Now, before we shake our heads and condemn them, all right? Oh, that's terrible. They were showing partiality to the wicked. The Bible doesn't actually exclude any of us from this path. Like, of show, I mean, you know a guy who knows a guy who can... You do something for one guy expecting... When people come in here, I mean, this happens. Uh, this I mean, is a running joke. I, I pray that the Lord has reduced this kind of talk. But, I mean, pe- pastors in the South would talk about, like, like the power people in the church, you know, the people that give the most, that you better just make sure that you cater to them in order to X, Y, Z. And yet James says... My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in the Lord and our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, uh, stand over there, or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Doesn't that sound exactly like what's happening in Psalm 82? Listen, my bro- beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man and mistreating people. Are not the rich ones the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? He's saying, look, you know how wicked they are, and yet the moment you think you can benefit from them, you will bow to them. That's what's happening with these leaders. There's no righteousness. There's no no impartiality. But they're not just showing partiality to the wicked. They're also neglecting the needy. Listen to who these folks are that God commands they pay attention to. Verse 3, the weak, which means the powerless, with no strength, no leverage in society. The fatherless, children with no family to provide for and protect them. The afflicted, which are basically abuse victims of any kind. The destitute, which are the poor. The needy are those who haven't quite lost everything, but they're on the way to losing everything. They're all people who have been abandoned or oppressed or neglected by others. And God's calling these men to give justice, make, maintain their right, deliver them, rescue them. It's interesting, that word rescue is actually normally the word that the psalmist calls out to God. So in Psalm 71, rescue me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked. And now God is calling on His representative leaders to rescue the needy from the wicked. 
and they are turning a blind eye. They are judging unjustly. They are showing partiality, and in showing partiality to the wicked, wicked, they are neglecting the needy. It is a double offense against God, both the partiality to the wicked and the neglect of the needy. What is it that comes to mind when you think of the weak and the afflicted and the needy and the destitute? Are they on your radar? Or do you tend to look the other way? Now, certainly, we want to be wise in the way that we help other people, those who present themselves as needy. But in seeking to be wise, does your heart want to open and help? Do you want them to not to be needy, but to not be, a, you know, a scam artist? You just, you, do you want to be helpful, or is your heart cemented in cynicism, and it's not moving anywhere? These men are both showing partiality to the wicked and neglecting the needy, which leads to, verse 5, the erosion of society. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. Conversations abound as to, to whom God is speaking, but I think it's just everybody in the picture because the leaders are walking around clueless with no understanding, which leads to a society that is clueless and has no understanding, which is essentially why it says the, the foundations of the earth are shaken. I mean, the moral order of society is turned to jello because these men are doing what they're doing. Leadership matters. If you read the accounts of Israel and Judah, you will see that the nation flourishes under wise and godly leadership, and it goes downhill and downhill fast under ungodly leadership. The leadership of any people, whether a nation or a company or a church or a family, leadership matters because the normal pattern is people go in the direction that the leaders go. So they have mistreated people. But not just that, they have misrepresented God. Look at verse 6. I said, you are gods, sons of the Most High, all of you. That's an emphatic statement. These men didn't run for office. This isn't why they're in their positions. They didn't form an, they didn't overthrow the former government. That's, how, that's not how they got their position. No matter what the human story is as to why they are where they are, God says, I said to you, you are God. I am the one who has entrusted authority to you. I am the one whose authority you are utilizing for unjust purposes. That's why he calls them gods, because that is how closely associated these men were with the authority of God. It was entrusted to them in order to, be, to glorify God and to do good for those under their authority. I mean, that was Jesus' point. If these wicked men 
are still called gods. What about the one the Father has consecrated? These men in Psalm 82 have failed. They have failed in misrepresenting God. God doesn't show partiality to the wicked. These men do. God does not neglect the weak and the needy. These men do. It's a double-edged sword of injustice, isn't it? Mistreating people on the one hand, misrepresenting God on the other. And it's actually also a double-sided rebellion against the fact that we are created in the image of God. So that as if I am one who is practicing injustice, I am, I am I'm contributing to the poor image of God, the poor reflection of who God is in my own life. I am not bearing His image faithfully as one who seeks to do good for those under His authority, who is faithful in all His words and kind in all His works, Psalm 145. But also, in doing the injustice, not only am I not bearing the image of God as I ought to, I am also mistreating those who are made in the image of God. Both happen in one act of injustice. And so, you see, loved ones, it is so critical that we think about this charge soberly, whether we are leaders or not, because mistreating, re, mistreating people and misrepresenting the Lord goes way beyond leadership. It is amplified in its importance in those who hold leadership roles, but it goes to anyone who claims to belong to God through Jesus Christ. Paul says we are ambassadors of God. We are to love our enemies. We are to love our neighbors. We are to represent the Lord faithfully. You see, when we step into a situation, the Word and Spirit of God ought to enter with us in very real ways, very tangible ways. The words of God filling our mouth, the Spirit of God giving us power to honor the Lord in that circumstance. God calls to justice. God charges injustice. And third, we see God's judgment against injustice. This brings us to the point of the whole psalm. We've seen the picture on the inside, right? On the inside of the frame. But now we're going to see the frame in which this uh, picture sits the frame that actually dominates, the frame that will, that contains the injustice so that it is not spreading. So imagine a great courtroom. It is filled with every head of state, every Supreme Court justice in the world, every lower court justice, every tribal leader, every mayor, 
every governor, every senator, all the people in the world who are accustomed to others coming to them to get input. They're accustomed to having people come to them and they give the counsel, they give the advice, they make the decision, and they're all in a room. And then, verse 1, God has taken His place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, He holds judgment. The door opens. All rise. And God enters the room. The judge of all judges takes his place. Not to listen to the counsel of those who have gathered, but to speak. Not to question them and ask them for anything, but to condemn them. God's question in verse 2, he's not looking for an answer. He already knows the answer. And so God brings the charges and speaks. I said, you, I said, you are God, sons of the Most High, all of you. He had set them up to rule. He had set them up to represent Him. But the power went to their heads. They started to think of God-given authority as their own authority. I mean, back home, we just say they got too big for their britches. I mean, their heads are big. Their heads have swollen and their hearts have shriveled. And they think it's all about them. And God brings them face to face with reality. Verse 7, Nevertheless, like men you shall die and fall like any prince. You have gone too far, says God. You will not commit these atrocities forever. There will be an end to your rule. There will be an end to your influence. There will be an end to your leadership. There will be an end to your unrighteousness. There will be an end to your injustice. There will be an end to you sinning against your fellow man made in my image. It will come to an end because though you've taken the title gods to your head like all men, you will die. You will die like any other man, and you will fall like any other prince, because of your injustice. It's reminiscent of Isaiah 40. It is He who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. He brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. You see, no matter how great and powerful a person is, no matter how unstoppable their dark and terrible deeds seem to be, no matter how much pain and suffering and oppression they inflict on other people in this life, they will not have the last word. God will. And God's gavel will fall on that last day, and all who persist in their oppression of others, 
their abuse of others, their injustice toward others will fall, not merely into the grave, but into hell to face the wrath of God forever. And that reality, friends, should do two things by the grace of God. First of all, it should strengthen our resolve to trust the Lord when we are suffering injustice. Because we are not to repay evil with evil. We are not to take our own vengeance. We are not to take up our own cause. We are to trust the Lord who holds the last day and every day in His hands. And secondly, by God's grace, that reality will stop those of us who are entrusted with authority from crossing the line. That should put a fear of the Lord in us that we do not, we do not want to transgress into oppression and injustice and unrighteousness in our treatment of others and in the treatment of those who are in, given under our authority by God. It should do both. And that's why we can pray with confidence. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. What a great hope for the people of God, isn't it? What a prayer. Through the decline of the nation of Israel and then followed on its heels the decline of Judah, imagine the faithful remnant praying as leaders go from bad to worse. Arise, O God, and judge the earth, for you shall inherit the nations. As they are in exile and under the power of godless nations, people who would take their religious life away from them, who would have them bow to false gods, who would have them cease to pray to the one true God and the remnant. I mean, imagine if Daniel was praying this after, after he's told to stop praying. Arise, O God, judge the earth for you shall inherit the nations. Centuries later, the Romans will rule, and they will be in league with the evil and hypocritical religious leaders of Israel. They will show partiality to the wicked. And at the birth of Jesus, they will launch an attack of infanticide on everyone close by, killing babies, the weakest and the neediest of their land. Injustice. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. And Jesus would grow up praying this prayer. And he actually prayed it as the one who never misrepresented God in any of his circumstances. Hebrew says he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he is the one who never mistreated others. Isaiah prophesied of him he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. And still, though he was the ruler, though he was the judge, though he was the king, though he was the one that no other human could be, he was despised and oppressed, and afflicted, and crushed, and killed 
under the injustice of evil men. And yet, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. God used those, the sin of those men. God used the injustice of those men so that his justice against sin could be satisfied in the death of Christ. You see, all of humanity wags their head and wants justice. We want justice. Don't you want justice? You do. You don't even have to nod your head. I know you do. I know you want judges to rule justly. I know you want good to be done. I know you want evil to be put down. But the reality that escapes most of humanity that wants justice is that if we get it, we would be in hell suffering even now. Because that is justice for our sin. And in this one who is perfectly just coming to the earth, God sends him to the cross so that the Father's justice will be satisfied. His wrath will be absorbed in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ because we rightly deserve to be treated as those who have completely ruined the image of God. But the image of God in perfection has taken our place as if he had so that we might be credited with his perfect righteousness you see at the cross is the height of justice and the depth of mercy Jesus under the just judgment of God not because he deserved it and us receiving the bountiful mercy of God, though we do not deserve it. As it were, when Jesus is nailed to that cross, it is, Arise, O God, and judge. And he was judged in our place. And he was judged in the place of all those who would turn from their sin and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. But that's not all. Because three days later, God in the flesh arises. And his resurrection signals that Psalm, 52 ver Psalm 82 verse 8 will be fulfilled. Acts 18, God has appointed a man to judge all, and he has shown this by raising him from the dead. And in the end, all of the nations of the earth will flood into the kingdom of King Jesus, who will rule with perfect justice and with perfect righteousness. God will not put perfect justice here. He will recreate everything to an atmosphere of perfect justice, new heavens, new earth, new people of God. And it will flood. The floodwaters of justice will cover the earth. There will be no mistreatment of people there. There will be no misrepresentation of God there. The Lord will fill Zion with justice and righteousness 
and he will be the stability of your times, abundance of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. Praise the Lord. We pray, arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit the nations. We don't pray that hoping, wishing that God would answer it. We pray it because he has promised He already has sealed His answer, and He will reveal His answer in the time to come. So when you face injustice, and when I face injustice, we do so crying out to a God we know who holds all of the injustice under His sovereign rule even now, and in the end, He will obliterate every speck of it. Justice will reign. The king of justice, Jesus, will reign. When you're interacting with your friend about the injustices of the world, that's the perspective to bring. Because that's what they want. God has set eternity in the heart of man. And that is what they want. They can't put their finger on it. They can't define it. But they want a world where perfect justice reigns. And the only way to be there, to enjoy it, to live under it, to celebrate it, is by recognizing that God's justice would keep us from there but His mercy has satisfied justice that we might be there. So weep with those who weep under injustice, beloved. Do justice. Pray for justice. Work for justice. Our efforts here will only be moderately and relatively successful. But in many ways, we do it as a pointer to the day, in obedience, as a pointer to the day when justice comes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. That day sustains our promotion of justice, and that day sustains our perseverance through injustice. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Let's take just a minute to reflect on this and then we'll pray. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit the nations. Our Father, we thank you that this prayer is one that you have graciously given to us 
that we can pray with faith knowing that you will answer it and that you have guaranteed your answer by satisfying your justice in the Lord Jesus Christ and raising him from the dead. We do not want simply for evil to be done away with. We want you to be glorified in every square inch of your universe. We pray, O oh God, that you would put in us a love for justice and a detesting of injustice in all its forms. Help us to examine our own interactions with others, with those under our authority, with whether we are doing justice and loving kindness and walking humbly with our God. Give us, by your Spirit, insight into our own souls and where we may even be promoting injustice in the way we think or the way we speak or the way we act. Give us grace to repent of those things. We pray for those in authority over us in our city in this county, in this state, in this nation. We recognize that there is no authority except from you. We pray, God, that you will, through them, promote justice among us. Bring conviction to those who show partiality to the wicked. We pray that in our state and in our nation, justice will be done for the weak and the fatherless, that the right of the afflicted and the destitute will be maintained, that the weak and the needy will be rescued, and the hand of the wicked will be stayed. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ will not judge by what he sees or by what he hears, but in truth and in righteousness he will judge all and with the word of his mouth will slay the wicked. Come quickly and do so, Lord Jesus. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.